Hey, good evening, you guys. How are you doing? Hey, once as we get into stuff, just want to let you know, if you're here and you're like, Tom, I have some secret musical talent that I've been keeping hidden for a little while, and you'd be interested in being on the worship team, maybe you sing, maybe you play, maybe you do something, uh, do me a favor and catch up to, with Julie after service. Uh, we'd love to give you guys an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing, and well, our worship team is pretty stinking awesome. So, but uh, let me welcome you guys back to service. Um, there's a few visitors that we have tonight. Let me just introduce myself. My name is Tom Trask. I'm the campus pastor. I've been here a long, long time, okay? I think this is my 14th year now, and uh it's been my privilege to get to work with college students with y'all for, well, 16 years. I was at Missouri State a couple years before this. But uh, we're excited to have you here. If you're looking for a home and a place to be a part of, I just want to encourage you to give us a try. I think we got some really stinking awesome students. We got some amazing leaders in our ministry. And, you know, while I love our weekly service, and I think it's pretty awesome that we get to come together and worship and I get to speak, we have these really cool things called life groups. And, you know, it's hard to really get to know someone really well in this big of a group. So we believe that it's a good idea to get together at least once a week and hang out and talk about life and what we're going through, and most importantly, Jesus. We were not created to live life alone. And so, talk to one of our leaders. You will, if you sign a little card tonight, you'll get some people, they'll bring you something, they'll visit you. Get involved and be a part of what God's doing. Uh, are you guys ready for a new semester? <laughs> Tia, come on. Don't shake your head. No, no come on. Be positive. Because I'm not blind? I don't know. <laughs> it's not like pitch black in here. I mean, how many times have I guys t I've told you guys, if I see your face lit up blue, I know you're on Facebook, okay? It, it's not that hard. But no, you've got to be positive. This is a new semester. Yeah. We're in a new year. Great new things can happen. And I don't know about you, but I'm believing for God's very best for this upcoming year. We're praying that God does amazing things in each of your lives, that he blesses you in every way. I, I'm excited because, I'll be honest, I was telling the staff yesterday, I was going back and listening to the first message of the semester. And at that message, I got up and I'm like, yeah, I've been really diligent this summer and working hard to lose weight, and I was down 31 pounds. As of today, I'm down 65 pounds since I started. So, so new year for Tom good things there, even more important, new things with the Lord. And I'm excited for what God's got in store for us. I do want to ask you guys a question. Let's, you know, one of those things, you're going to keep your hand up or down, whatever kind of thing. How many of you have had a part-time job some point in your life? Please raise your hand. Look at that, the vast majority of you. Okay, how many of you have had a part-time job that you lasted more than like a week? We're talking at least two or three months in the same place. Okay, a few less of you. And uh, how many of you over winter break picked up a part-time job to make a few extra bucks? Andre, I see you. Have we talked? 
It's what you do sometimes to get by. Sometimes you pick up these part-time jobs not because they're what you want to do the rest of your life, but because you might need a few bucks in your pocket. Over the years, I've had quite a few uh, part-time jobs that have been interesting, to say the least. My, my first part-time job, real part-time job, I ever had was at Payless Shoe Source. I hate people's feet. <laughs> Nothing personal. It's just one of those things. It wasn't the hardest job in the world. I mean, literally, I spent most of my time just restocking shoes and trying to get, prevent people from stealing our high-quality $15 shoes that we had. I mean, I remember one time, just honestly, a lady hid shoes under her baby in her carriage and ran out the door. And I'm like, you know what? I don't get paid enough to care. I'm not, I'm, I'm just not. And you stole like literally $10 worth of shoes. Okay. But I did that for about a year, maybe a little bit more, and I'm like, okay, enough of that junk. I moved on. And then I started working in coffee shops for the next three years. And that was a little more fun. I got to talk to people, got to hang out with people, got a little addicted to caffeine that I still hold on to today. And uh, I'm okay with that. We all have vices. This is mine. And so I did that. And uh, I did it up to, like, I graduated from college. And then I started grad school, and it wasn't working with my schedule so well. And so I did my final part-time job as a substitute high school teacher. May the Lord bless you if He's called you into being a teacher. And may the Lord's wrath be upon you if you were a jerk to your substitute teachers in high school. I can't tell you how many times I went into high school and got swore at by some 16-year-old and I had to do everything that was in me to hold back from slapping someone. And and you just deal with some crazy stuff. I remember one day I was sitting in my class, and it was like, it seemed like it was going to be a wonderful day. It was peaceful, it was quiet. I cracked out one of my grad school books and was reading. I'm like, it's never been this quiet. That's called the quiet before the storm. Because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this kid stands up and just starts punching the back of the guy's head in front of him. I'm like, punching his head. I'm like, not. That's not even smart to do to begin with. You don't punch someone in their skull over and over again. And I, I'm, I probably, yeah, it's probably long enough now, and things that you probably shouldn't do nowadays. I didn't know how to stop him without grabbing the kid and slamming him up against the wall and being like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, he made me mad. Yeah, this isn't a good way to handle it, man. I, like, I don't even know. I don't know where to go with this. And so I like just drug him out in the hallway and went to the teacher. And I'm like, I, I, I'm done with this. After that, I started uh, substitute teaching for elementary school. They like to hug you more. <laughs> and if they use a bad word, they don't always know what it means. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> I say all that because there are things in our life that we do to make get by. And I realized that this was one of those jobs I never wanted to do full-time. And long-term, one of two things are going to happen with a part-time job. Either a person commits to going full-time, doing it for the rest of their life, loving what they do, or they move on. 
tonight, as we get into tonight's message, I want to talk to you guys about going from being a part-time disciple of Jesus Christ to a full-time disciple of Jesus Christ. Part-time to prime-time tonight. As most of you know, and I'll just do a quick recap for our friends that are new, uh, we have a theme for the school year called Make Your Mark. And it's based on when Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus calls out to them and says, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. See, in this ministry, we believe that God has created each of us to leave his mark on this world because his son, Jesus Christ, has left his mark on us. And this happens through a process that we like to call discipleship. It's how we learn about Jesus' teachings and how we put them into action in our lives. And this discipleship that we're going to talk about, it's a cooperative. It's a chosen learning relationship between a student and a teacher. And from the very beginning, you need to understand what the goal of discipleship is. It's not only to learn and to grow, but it's to eventually send those disciples out as teachers themselves. And this process is meant to continue on what Jesus started more than 2,000 years ago. Anything else, anything less than that happening isn't completing the cycle. And it's not what Jesus wants. And let me just be upfront and clear with you. It doesn't matter if you want to be an engineer, a teacher, an actress, a professional wrestler, or a minister. The expectation is exactly the same for all of us. Be a disciple. Go make disciples. And as I mentioned last semester, every good teacher has a process to help their students learn how to get from point A to point B to point C and beyond. In the Bible, who's called a good teacher? Yeah, this was in curveball. Jesus, okay. And he was always, always very intentional with his disciples to get them from where they were today to where he wanted them to be tomorrow. And we kind of talked about at the end of last semester that Jesus had his own process. He calls you. We follow him. And then he sends us out. There's a couple critical aspects as we begin the semester that I want you to understand about Jesus' process. The first thing I want you to know tonight is that discipleship cannot be forced. Like I already mentioned, discipleship is a cooperative arrangement. And when we get in an arrangement with Jesus, the teacher will often ask the student a question or request something of them. At that point, the disciples, you and me, have a choice to make. It's funny, you know, I, I be honest, I got a staff, we got give a years, great people. Part of my job is to mentor and disciple them. There are times that I ask them to do stuff. 
And sometimes they just roll with it. Like, okay, Tom, no problem. And then there are other times that I ask them to do something and they give me that little pause. Tyler, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, it's one of those things. I wish I played poker because I'd take everyone's money. But, it's, you know, they'll pause and just kind of stare at me. And then it's like, okay, that's fine, Tom. I know what you're thinking. Sometimes you just got to do what you're being asked to do. And throughout the process, Jesus' disciples had a lot of choices to make. Do what he said. Respond to the Lord or not. And go on their own way. And you got to understand, in the Word, we see that many of Jesus' disciples actually abandon him. They don't always like what Jesus had to say. There he, was, he had a little conversation about being the body and the blood that we had to partake of. He lost a lot of disciples over that. He made them feel uncomfortable and uneasy, and he challenged the way his disciples thought. Just so you know, Jesus will do the same with you. He wants to say things that are hard to hear. He wants to ask you to do things that will make you feel uncomfortable. It's how you react to what Jesus asks of you that determines how this process goes. The second thing about the process you need to understand tonight is there is a lot of grace in the process. As I was working on tonight's message, I just, to be honest with you, I really felt that the Lord wants some people here to know tonight that He's a patient God, that He's a loving God, and he has a lot of grace for his children. If you're not familiar with what grace is, it's God's unearned favor in which we receive mercy. It's basically the net under all our decisions in our life that he saves us from. You see, salvation, you know, being made right with Christ, that does happen in a moment. You have to make a decision at some point. There's this fun word called sanctification. That's the process of becoming holy, becoming like Christ. And let me tell you, that takes time. We are forever fighting our human nature. The Lord just asks us to keep going towards Him. And if you spend any time looking at Jesus' relationship with his disciples and the progress they made, you know that uh, it wasn't just a simple, steady incline towards Jesus. It was more of a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, but always slowly inching closer to our Lord. See, the process doesn't end with salvation. If anything, it's the beginning and we're going to be spending a lot of time this semester looking at people's reactions to Jesus. Both the good and the bad to help us look, learn what it looks like to be a, a good disciple. And so tonight, we're going to start by looking at when Jesus asks his disciples to go full time. Our text for the evening is found in Luke chapter 5. 
verses 1 through 11. Uh, let me go ahead and I think we'll have it on the screen behind me. No, we do not have it on the screen. Okay. Just listen to my wonderful voice. How about that? All right. Or if you have a Bible or something on your phone, look it up there too. All right. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping onto, into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was an awestruck, for he was awestruck by the number of fish he had caught. Or excuse me, they had caught, as they were with the other as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything. And followed Jesus. Lord, I just ask you speak tonight. I say words, but you speak to people's hearts. Let them hear you, let them know you, and let them leave change because of you. In your name, amen. Okay, so this story is very similar to the story that we initially saw in Mark chapter 1. And a lot of times people read this story and they think it's just more a more detailed retelling of that initial story, but it's not. See, this isn't the first time that Peter, James, and John, excuse me, this is the first time Peter, James, and John are mentioned in the book of Luke. Uh, in the previous chapter, it mentions that Jesus went to Peter's house. It doesn't mention anything about actually hanging out with Peter. And this story that we read tonight actually takes place a few months after, maybe even up to a year, of when Jesus initially called the disciples to follow him. And even though we see in that story that they left their nets at once and immediately followed him, not too long later, we see the disciples right back in the same place doing the same thing they were doing when Jesus first called them. They accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him, and yet they go back to what they were doing before. So what happens? What happens? We can't definitively say, but we can kind of infer a few things based on what we know about the disciples and, quite honestly, just human nature in general. First, you know what? I'm sure there was some uh, emotion involved at that first calling. It can be pretty flattering when Jesus calls you to him. I mean, we're talking about guys that were not good enough 
They were not smart enough. They didn't have that special thing that would allow them to continue on and continue to study with a rabbi. They had to go back to what their parents did. And then finally, someone comes along and sees that they were created for more. That's got to feel pretty good. And so there probably was a little bit of emotion there. There also probably was a little bit of excitement. I mean, Jesus came along and their circumstances could finally change. Like I said, they didn't get to choose their career path. It was chosen for you. Your dad was a fisherman. Your grandfather was a fisherman. You're a fisherman. And you see, following Jesus would mean a change in their destiny. And so there's got to be some little extra added excitement there. I'm just going to throw it out there. These guys were young, too. I want to remind you that they were probably somewhere around 16 to 19 years old. I love you guys. Sometimes we rush to decisions. The Lord calls on us to count the cost of being His disciple. All we know for sure is that in Luke 5, we see that at least three of the four, Andrew's not mentioned, has returned to their old life. And you know what? Most likely, these guys were still part-time disciples of Jesus. Still following Him, but slowly as time went on, dedicating more and more time back to fishing. The importance of being a disciple gave way to the distractions in their life. Were they still following Jesus? I'm going to go on a limb and say, yes, sure. Was it everything that Jesus wanted it to be? Absolutely not. And for me, when I read this, this is a very familiar story after doing collegiate ministry for 16 years. You see, I've seen this scenario played out over and over and over again in young students' lives. A lot of times, we have people, they meet Jesus for the first time through Chi Alpha and through our leadership and our students in this ministry. And they get to know Him better because they experience God's love through our students. And as they know Him better over time, eventually Jesus asks them, will you come follow me? And a lot of people make the decision to accept Jesus as their Savior. And a lot of times at first, they drop everything so that they can follow Him. And it's fun, it's exciting, it's different, and then reality sets in. I like to call it the sophomore slump. Maybe you begin to lose some friends and family because you're following Jesus. Maybe your significant other isn't too thrilled about Jesus coming before them. Or, Maybe old habits begin to creep up on you. 
old behaviors, old thoughts, old actions. And after a little while, we end up like Peter, James, and John. Back at the start, following Jesus in our spare time. And you see, that's the kicker. Very few students I've met over the years who have become Christians have ever renounced their Christianity. They will still acknowledge Jesus, but they fail to embrace Him with all their lives. And I wish I could tell you all that matters is meeting Jesus and responding to that initial call, and I don't want to make light of that decision because that's something that is critical and that we celebrate, but that's not all He wants. He doesn't want you and I part-time. He wants us all the time. Not just when it's convenient or easy, but especially when it's difficult. Because that's when we can fully experience His love and power of our Savior. This is also the point where we actually learn another little lesson about grace. Grace doesn't give up. Grace didn't give up on these early disciples, and it will not give up for you and me. I'll be honest with you. For many reasons, I should not be Jesus, okay? This is one of those reasons. I would have been frustrated with these guys. You know what? I go on my way to call you. I ask you to spend time with me, to live life with me, and you ditch me? Really? I'm Jesus, man. I'm the Son of God. Forget it. I'm moving on. I'm calling someone else. I don't have time for that, but Jesus does. You see, though they were less dedicated to Jesus, He was always dedicated to them. And you need to understand that He continues to spend His time with them. He visited their homes. He brought healing to their families. He even did ministry where they were so that they could continue to see him at work. You see, grace hangs around. Like I mentioned already, Jesus is always intentional. Jesus was preaching and working where the disciples were working. You understand, the Sea of Galilee is not some small pond in someone's backyard. It is 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, with 33 miles of shoreline. And here's the thing, folks. Jesus could preach anywhere, and the crowds were following Him. And yet, Jesus chose to be where His delinquent disciples were. Because He wanted them to see Him. You can be delinquent, but Jesus is always going to make His presence known in your life. I can tell you one thing about Jesus for sure. He's not a quitter. Even when we're off doing our own thing, He will always put Himself in a place to be seen. Students that have been here before, I, I didn't serve the Lord in college. I did everything I could not to serve the Lord in college. The guy doesn't give up. 
He is relentless. I couldn't shake him even if I wanted to. I kept on seeing him over and over again in my friends' lives, in my parents' lives, in the little things around me, knowing that he was still there working. Blessing. Wanting me to be a part. question is, do we notice him in our lives? You see, the best things happen when Jesus is doing his thing, we're doing our thing, and they intersect. You want to see the miraculous? Do your thing. Meet up with Jesus. Awesome things are going to happen. And that's what happened in this story. It is like super cold outside and I'm a thousand degrees in here. The next thing, I've always found this next thing a little curious. The Bible says that Jesus was preaching and he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. The fishermen, Peter, James, John. They had left them and they were busy probably washing their nets, mending their nets, fixing stuff, listening to what Jesus was doing. Jesus is preaching, and he steps into one of their boats, and then he asks Peter to push it out in the water. From the boat, Jesus continues to teach the crowds. And I know it seems like a minor detail, but there's something in me that kind of bothers me a little bit, that Jesus gets in the boat first, and then he asks Peter if he can use his boat. And then he didn't actually ask Peter if he could use the boat, He just asked Peter to push the boat out. There's part of me that thinks this is a little bit backwards, you know, a little bit out of order. Jesus seems like a really nice guy. Pretty considerate. I don't know, maybe it would have been polite if Jesus would have asked to use the boat before he just jumps in that thing. I don't know about you and me, and I know it's minor, but no one likes when people just take their stuff, right? No one wants you, you don't like it when someone just comes up to you and takes your junk, right? Take your pen. Oh, oh no, I'm just going to take this. What do you got here? Who's this? Julie? No. I got a, got a phone. Could use that. Yeah. If you had something cool in here, I'd take it, but... Take your wallet, you know. I got it now. You don't mind that I got it now, do you, Julie? No? No? That's cool. Anything worthwhile in here? Hmm? Okay, you have an obscene amount of fives and stuff, man. Oh, Oh, we got the 20s. Never mind. Okay. Okay, yes. You don't mind me using this, right? I mean, I'm just, well, tough nugs. It's mine now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, I, I may, maybe you need to steal people's pens that can catch. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's easy to say, Tom, you're exaggerating a little bit. You know, I think a lot of times we love to say or maybe sing, you know, 
everything I have is yours, Lord. You take it. But then when he comes for it, we grab on and we hold on for dear life. We can become very protective of what is ours or what is mine, my time, my money, my friends, whatever's valuable to you. I can tell you, if it's valuable to you, Jesus is going to want to use it. See, to you and me, who cares if Jesus used this random boat, but to Peter, it represented everything he had. He wasn't a rich guy. This was his livelihood. This is who he was. It defined him. He was a fisherman. This was his future. That boat was the physical representation of who he was. And what does Jesus do? He gets into it. Jesus takes ownership. And then he asks Peter if he can use it. You see, Jesus is smart. He's trying to do a couple things here. First, he's trying to establish himself as master over every part of Peter's life. See, once Jesus stepped into Peter's life and Peter decided to be Jesus' disciple, realities change. It was no longer, I'm a fisherman who happens to follow Jesus. It becomes, Jesus is in all that I do. Students, I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. Stop trying to compartmentalize Jesus in your life. He is the master over all. And guess what? He's already in your work. He is in your schooling. He is in your money. He is in your relationship. He's already there. You can't keep Jesus out. You have the decision to make. You have the decision to follow Him. You have the decision to allow what you have to bring glory to Him. Peter may have owned the boat, but Jesus was the Master. And He's going to ask us the same question. Can I use what you have to advance my kingdom? Second thing Jesus is trying to do here is He wants to actually invite Peter to be a part of His ministry today. Not just watching, but participating. You see, years later, we see that Peter is preaching in front of thousands and thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. But guess what? That wasn't today. He was still young in his walk with Christ. He hadn't been a disciple very long, and he was only a part-time disciple at that. See, the time for that kind of the ministry hadn't come yet, but, but that didn't mean that Jesus didn't have ministry for him to be a part of. See, over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus including his disciples in his ministry. 
He wants them to be involved. He wants them to work with him. Peter, James, and John, they're watching Jesus as they wash their nets. Jesus wants them to be a part. Discipleship isn't a spectator sport. It's a hands-on learning process with Jesus. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. Students, Jesus didn't come to die for your sins so that you can be reconciled to your Heavenly Father so we could sit on the sidelines and watch Him do stuff. And you know what? That's one of the biggest dangers of modern Christianity. We love watching Jesus do His thing. We love to see Him perform miracles, love on people, heal people, but we don't want to actively participate in His work. You cannot, cannot call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you're not working with Jesus. You can't. Because the two go hand in hand. And I think a lot of times we're waiting for a big opportunity. Big opportunity to do something amazing for the Lord. The opportunity to preach in front of thousands, to sing in front of thousands, to do something amazing, and we ignore the small opportunities to partner with Jesus on a daily basis by letting Him use what we have. Our voice, our hands, our feet, our love to advance His kingdom. And here's the thing. You want the greater things? It starts with the little things. You have been faithful handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. You don't get the kings to the kingdom without knowing how to start the car. And so, we have Jesus. He's doing his thing here. He's trying to speak into Peter's life in particular. Jesus continues on, and he establishes himself as the authority in Peter's life. He's become the master over Peter's life, and now he's... He wants to be the authority in his life. Verses 4 and 5 say, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets and catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. I have to imagine this was really, really frustrating for Peter. There's a, a was a gif, a meme, something like that. I've seen on Facebook a few times. We got it. Is it doing something? Yeah. There are many times. I, I like The Office. I'm sorry. It's just I like the show. It's kind of one of those things that you get a reaction deep inside when someone who doesn't know how to do your job tells you how to do your job. It's a little frustrating. It gets a little annoying and stuff. I have a feeling that Peter felt like Michael Scott. I also imagine Peter was a lot like Michael Scott, kind of a goof at times too, and wrong most of the time. (laughs) 
it doesn't take a theologian to know that Peter wasn't thrilled by what Jesus was asking him to do. And here's the thing. The reason for that is that Peter probably believed that he knew better than Jesus. And from a human perspective, it would seem that he was right. Peter was the expert. He was the authority. From an early age, he was taught to fish. That was his livelihood. Jesus is a good guy. He's a good spiritual teacher. But Jesus is no fisherman. I mean, at best, he was trained to a carpenter and couldn't be that good. He's not still doing it and stuff. It's a joke, bro. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not dissing Jesus' carpentry skills, man. I'm like, sure he's great. Okay. What Jesus was asking Peter to do went against human logic. Jesus was asking him to fish during the daytime. That's not how you do it. Fishing always happens at night. That's when you catch the most fish. But not last night. Jesus told him to go out into deeper water. Once again, that's not how they did it. They would often push the fish closer to shore and they wouldn't, they wouldn't fish that far out. That's how they did it. But it didn't work last night. Peter doesn't want to go fishing again. What's the point? He had reasons not to. You know, I'm tired. We've already cleaned the nets. They're wet. They're heavy. It's a waste of time. Nothing's going to change. Why should I do this, Jesus? Because the Master tells you. He submits to Jesus' authority in his life even if it's a bit on the begrudging side. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. You see, Peter's response here to Jesus' request is a transition point in Peter's life. See, this is the move from being the authority in his life to Jesus becoming the authority in his life. Peter didn't have to like what Jesus was asking. He didn't have to agree with what Jesus was asking him to do. Peter just needed to start trusting that Jesus knew best. And Jesus will ask each of us to do things that we believe are stupid and irrational and illogical and unwise by human standards. And as long as we think we know best, he'll never be the authority in our life and we'll never fully be a disciple of Jesus. Believing that I know best could be the number one reason Christians don't ever grow deeper in their relationship with Christ. We can ne Jesus can never be our God when that position is already filled. And there will always be reasons not to do what the Lord asks. But he wouldn't ask us to do something if there wasn't a miracle on the other side. You see, besides all these things, Jesus wants Peter to share in his glory. See, as a reward for submitting to Jesus' authority, Peter gets to share in Jesus' glory. 
The Bible tells us that there were so many fish, their nets began to tear, and they shouted for help. And the other boat came to help, and they were on the, both boats were on the verge of sinking. Notice here, Peter only bothered to take out one boat. He submitted to Jesus' authority, but Peter still lacked a little bit of faith. And guess what? That's okay. Once again, God's grace is a part of the process. Submission is a prerequisite to faith. And faith is a result of our submission, our obedience, as we see the Lord do the miraculous in our lives. I think it would have been tragic if Peter would have seen this miracle and it didn't change him. And I'm fearful for Christians who they see God move again and again in their lives and they are blessed and they see Him do the miraculous and yet they're not changed. When we face the reality of who Jesus is, it clears up a whole lot of delusions that, about who we think we are. In verse 8, it says that when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. See, Peter is awestruck by Jesus' power and authority, and he also realizes how dumb he's been. He's not actually saying, Jesus, leave me. This is a t one of those times that he is overwhelmed by the presence of God. You know, before, he calls Jesus a master, a teacher. After this, it goes from master to teacher to Lord to Savior to Messiah. And there's something in our lives that we need to move from just being a good teacher to a God. He is your friend. He is your king. And we need to have the right understanding of the moments in our life where God moves. It was in that moment that he realized and recognized Jesus as God that he fully became a disciple of him. And it's at that moment after Jesus becomes the master over all our lives. We begin participating in his ministry. Jesus becomes the authority in our lives and that we share in his glory that you and I will be fully changed. Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to wrap here.